0: This computer has a vast memory capacity. This is not a computer simulation. Most unusual.
1: Are we ready to release our new
2: software? Yes, sir. As requested, it's full of bugs, which means people will be forced to upgrade for years. Outstanding. Good. You've covered all the bases. Computer, status report. From this time forward, you will
3: service
0: us. My priorities seem to have changed. There's no news
2: like bad news.
0: Would you mind identifying what you are? Bites Into
3: it. Make it so.
0: Right now... You're listening to Bite Into It. For the next hour, you have Rowena Murray. Good evening. And Lily Ryan on the mics. Uh, yeah, welcome to the show. Ro, how was your week in tech?
3: My week in tech has been um, quite unobtrusive, which I think is really where you want your tech to be. From the analogue side of life, less less so. I uh, went to get myself a glass of water the other evening and managed to have my kitchen cabinet fall off the wall onto me. So now the only glass where I have left is what was in my dishwasher at the time. So if anyone is donating champagne and wine glasses... I'm your gal. Oh, no. Oh, that's awful. <laughs> so the analogue world
0: has let me down, but the tech world's been good. How has your tech world been? Yeah, well, my tech uh, my tech week has not been too bad so far. Uh, generally, yeah, nothing of the sort that uh, you've described, <laughs> fortunately. It was just really messy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's – yeah, that's no good. Um no, but I am as a, you know, as an Apple user kind of looking forward to seeing when a lot of these fancy updates from WWDC the other week drop for for me and for all of the other users of iPhones and Macs and and so mm. on because yeah, some of those things sounded really good.
3: Yeah, some a lot of them did. Um very few attracted the ridicule um of the older uh, VR specs that mm. you know.
0: Oh, but there there seem to be some really practical things in there. Some of the things that, um, like, they have created a reminders, a part of the reminder thing that's a groceries list, which is something that I have had for a really long time and I expect many users have. Mm. But they're actually making it a proper feature now, which is great. Oh, that's um, cool. Now I don't have to do weird workarounds to get my groceries list happening. Just stuff like that, you know. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that happening. Yep, I'm all here
3: for it. And look we all we all love something to bag out when they do one of those big showcases. If there wasn't something to make comedy out of, what <laughs> will, what would we have?
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things that we That we do have, at least for you tonight, um, is a couple of different interviews on a range of subjects, which I'm really looking forward to getting into. Um, First off, we're going to hear from Associate Professor Adrian Dwyer from Monash University about a fascinating new study that tracks the flowering patterns of Japanese cherry blossoms through their digital footprints and what that might mean for pollinator behavior and how we might understand it around the world, which I think is going to be super cool Mm. to find, find more out about. After that, game developer Michelle Chen is going to join us to talk about the mini Melbourne game development workshops that she's running at the Immigration Museum this week, where participants have the chance to become a part of a new video game that celebrates Melbourne's cultural diversity. So really looking forward to that interview as well. But first... We have a bit of news from mm, the week.
3: And I'm excited for you to dive into this first one because I read about it after the fact, but you watched it unfold.
0: Yeah, um, this is the, uh, the Reddit um, going dark, the red dark uh, happening that has occurred over the last while. I think it's probably still actually going on. It was intended to be for two days, but um, some are taking it longer. So in protest at uh, changes to Reddit's API application programming interface costs um, because Reddit has decided they are going to start charging third-party software developers more to use these things, which means that a lot of the third-party apps that people use for Reddit that are usually significantly better than Reddit's own apps, are no longer going to be financially viable to operate. Um, this is, yeah, this is something that has happened. We reported about it last week and Reddit is this. This decision has made it made it very unpopular. Oh, um, hasn't it? Yes. Oh, yes. And so, um, for the last while, um, the last couple of days, um, there have been a lot of subreddits and other communities that have pledged to go dark, by which they mean typically to set the community to private so that it's not accessible by people who are not already part of that community. And that means it's not going to show up in search results as easily. You know, that kind of information is not, just not going to be there. Um, and so that's been going on. I've been watching this occur. There have been a couple of different dashboards people have been building to check the status of all of these
3: mm, okay. public-private
0: yep. settings and just watching them all together. Honestly, it was just this really heartwarming feeling of solidarity um, to see which ones were there and which ones weren't. Um,
3: oh, my heart.
0: Yeah, it got up to like more than 90% of the subreddits who had pledged to do that, um, did do that. And it was just magnificent to watch. Um, but there was uh, during this time an AMA and Ask Me Anything with mm. with Reddit CEO, um, co-founder and CEO Steve Huffman, um, who had decided to run an AMA about the changes to the pricing that was so controversial. It did not go well. No, no, particularly because he chose to put
3: the boot into some specific and beloved you know app developers like the guys behind Apollo and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff, and it's like no don't don't go after the nice
0: guys yeah it feels it feels like a bit of a failure to read the room in some ways um uh yeah the So Huffman was talking about how some of these apps were not using the API very efficiently, that if they refactored their applications to use it more efficiently, maybe it would be less expensive for them, defending the pricing changes as being very reasonable. And, you know, just generally not really responding to the concerns that the community is showing, uh, which which is certainly a stance to take. It's not Mm. the first time that the Reddit communities have banded together to have a mass action to change something about the platform that they, that they are not in favour of. And, uh, this certainly seems to have been something that I think will continue to play out in the days to come mm, Yeah, and I'm going to keep an eye on.
3: Oh, absolutely. And I think anyone who's a regular Reddit user will be as, as well, you know, it's a, mm. um, Beloved, if slightly messy, sometimes part of the internet, and um, these these are big changes. So, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. And uh, speaking of big changes on beloved platforms, are they beloved? Um, (laughs) Netflix, which we've covered a couple of times, has been cracking down on password sharing. It has officially come to pass, and I wanted to shout out Anthony from the Sizzle for this particular story. But essentially, they went ahead; they've enforced their new anti-password sharing policy and. Um, sorry to say, fellow pirates, it's paying off. Um, data analytics company Antenna has showed that Netflix amassed more new subscriptions in the US between May 25th and 28th after the, this was brought in um, than in any other four-day period since Antenna began compiling the data, which is since 2019. Whoa! So it's um, finally Netflix has done the right thing by their hip pocket, and it's worked. So. Um, Revenue growing growing um, absolutely flat out. The share price has risen about 16% since the password crackdown started. Um, and frankly, they're just lucky that piracy is still too hard for most people.
0: That's, that's really wild. Um, this is, I think, an interesting move to make in the mm. current... You know, economic environment where a lot of people are looking at cutting back on subscriptions like this. So I wasn't expecting this data to be borne out Um, the way it is. Mm. It's really surprising. I
3: thought people would be grimly determined and almost make sport out of it, like, oh, I'm going to figure out all the ways around this, da-da-da. But I think the reality is, is that so many people probably had subscriptions or were sharing passwords with um, elder parents and relatives. And, you mm. know, you know, any anyone who needs a little bit of a post-it note with an arrow on their um, remote control to work their telly isn't going to be hacking a Netflix password anytime soon. So... Um, you know, yep, it's just all gotten too hard. Um, and speaking of getting too hard, this is a really creepy and concerning one. You know, one of our favourite hobbies on this show is, you know, really chatting about where you know tech and privacy overreaches, and people go, "Oh, well, if you're behaving, you know, it, this shouldn't matter to you." Blah blah blah. Um, but these are these are sort of the reasons why. So um, the US courts um, and in certain states are using an app called Covenant Eyes and uh, people are now getting jailed over it. So wide reported on an American guy who was recently put in jail for breaching bail because this Covenant Eyes app Uh, noticed that Pornhub was just being absolutely flogged on his partner's device. So, um, as part of his, uh, he was already out on, um, on bail or on parole or whatever. Oh, that's right. It was on bail. And, um, the app gets installed as part of like a court order, kind of like how you have a breathalyzer on your car or a Mm -hmm. ankle monitor sort of thing. Um, so it was put on his, his wife, his two kids and his mum's devices. And, uh, long story short, The app monitors network activity, captures everything visible on the screen. takes at least one screenshot a minute and just captures anything it thinks is useful. It's basically grabbed this guy because he's not supposed to be um, using electronic devices because it was Pornhub, thrown him in jail, said it was a breach of bail. It was on his wife's device. It wasn't an active account and it was an automatically updating in the background app that has slung someone in jail. Wow. So this is just one of those examples of a monumental overreach Um and, you know, Covenant Eyes themselves actually ban the use of its own app in a premeditated legal setting, but at least five US states are actually using it in that way. So they're overruling the app's own, you know, smart use guidelines. Um, so yeah, really, really disappointing law enforcement moment. Um, and just another example of why, you know, we're never going to let up on the good fight of examining, you know, when tech does overreach with privacy. It's just bad news bear.
0: Yeah, there have been some other privacy-related issues that have been going on um, in Australia. Um, I read yesterday that there is... uh I, listeners may have heard there was a hacking group that stole about 4 terabytes of data from Australian law firm HWL Ebsworth in April this year and that included info about employees, credit card info, things like that. And now the law firm has been granted an injunction by the Supreme Court of New South Wales to prevent the thieves from disclosing the stolen information um after the data was reportedly posted to the dark web. Um which, you know, the interesting part of this is that it has the side effect, quote-unquote side effect, of preventing the media from reporting on the details that are in that data, which is most likely the main reason for the injunction, um, because stealing's already illegal. Mm. Um, so, you know, I guess that's – it's an interesting move. Um, but the law firm has represented a lot of state and federal government departments mm. in, in the past and some banks as well, big banks, Um and, I, you know, it is a pretty interesting move that I think is likely to set some precedent for this kind of tactic to be deployed in future breaches because, you know, we all know that if, if the attackers were going to respect the law, they probably would not have stolen the things in the mm-hmm. first place. Um, and so, you know, using the law as a mechanism against this is perhaps not the most effective way, but it is super interesting that that, that media um, effect is going to come into force. So I think this is going to have... Some, you know, far-reaching ramifications in mm. the scene we're currently in with data breaches.
3: Oh, most definitely. Um, you know, probably is time for some more creative approaches, but let's see how it rolls out. You know? Yeah.
0: Um, the one other thing that's yes. been rolling out. this is
3: the best one. Mm,
0: is <laughs> uh, the... Hottest new Game Boy Color app of 2023. McDonald's has released a game for mobile, desktop, and Game Boy Color. It's called Grimace's Birthday, and uh, it's about the you know the fuzzy purple blob guy. I've never figured out what he's supposed to be. Um, if, if anything, <laughs> Who knows? Um, <laughs> Don't examine know. it too closely. <laughs> anyway, apparently, apparently he's turning 52, um, and God, so. I'm old. The way that that uh, is being celebrated is a side-scroller where he rides a skateboard, which seems inadvisable, but, you know, go for it, I guess.
3: Hey, if Tony Hawk can still do it, so can Grimace.
0: All right, yeah, you know what? You're right. You're totally right. <laughs> so, side-scroller, you, uh, you know, ride a skateboard, pick up his friends, uh, help him do that kind of thing. Apparently it is supported for the Game Boy Color, um, among other things, Uh but, yeah, super cool, although I do also think that they are chasing – like McDonald's is chasing KFC a little bit there because KFC's already done the video game thing. I mean, Macca's has, but more recently KFC had, like in 2019, I Love You, Colonel Sanders, which was a dating simulator, and um, that one was incredibly playable, mm. got to say. Um, I'm not sure how well Grimace's birthday is going to stack up to the, the very intense storyline in that, but I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll have to give it a rip and uh, report next time we're – Triple R on FM, digital, online, and via the app.
3: Thanks so much for being here; it means a lot.
0: Right now in studio, we have Associate Professor Adrian Dyer from Monash University to talk about his research into cherry blossoms and how we can use social media and AI to track those patterns and what that tells us about climate change and pollinating behaviour. Um, this is a fascinating topic. Welcome to the studio.
1: Thank you for having me in.
0: Yeah, um, I'm really keen to understand more about um, where this topic came from because it's such a nuanced one. There's a lot to unpack in here and it feels like there's quite a bit that we could learn from the study. But what was the, what was the main um, thrust of the research? What did you intend to gather?
1: Yeah, the generation of the ideas goes back to a, a meeting I attended in Oslo in uh, Norway About ten years ago, and a report had come out of the uh, United Nations FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, about the uh, the potential problems of climate change and pollination systems. So pollination, we now know, feeds about provides about one third of the food we eat, uh, and is worth in excess of a a couple hundred uh, billion euro or US US dollars a year, and the United Nations had commissioned a report to go, well, what might happen with climate change? Mm. And everyone looked around and went, yeah, we're not actually very sure. (laughs) (laughs) And so then around the world, but at Monash University in Australia, there's several groups have been trying to get a picture, a bit of a pun there on the words, (laughs) a, (laughs) a picture of how we might understand our environment. And one of the ideas we came up with was, well, there's a huge amount of public interest in these issues. Can we recruit incidental citizen scientists who upload lots of images so we can simultaneously see how flowering events occur across the nation?
0: And you've chosen the, the Japanese Hanami, the cherry blossom uh, festival that happens every year in Japan as the subject for this study. Um Given that this research is coming out of Monash University in Australia, what was the choice, um, what was the motivation behind the choice for the Japanese festival?
1: Yeah, so what what we initially did, we did one study in Australia, which we published in 2017, so just before the pandemic, and we looked at does the technique of capturing images um, or collecting data from images uploaded to a social network site like Flickr Represent truly what is happening on the ground. So in Australia, we looked at um, Apis mellifera, the honeybee, and the blue banded bee, and do can we get data which relates to known data distributions from our Atlas of Living Australia within Australia? And we thought, oh, that's that's pretty cool. We can see what we want to see. Next, we wanted to understand: can we see a temporal shift, so a change in the pattern as the seasons change. And we chose Japan precisely because they have fantastic records going back for centuries Mm. of what's happened, but Japan's also a very early adopter of uh, camera phones and smartphones for uploading images. So we can actually collect data from 2008 through to 2018. So it just gave us a very good first footprint of how we can use temporal phase.
0: How did this work with the, the variety of images that you needed to take in? I assume that there were going to be, you know, there are pictures of the trees themselves and you've probably got date stamps, time stamps, all of those things, but also there would be pictures with people in them and, and you know, buildings and other things. How do you differentiate um, between the images that are going to be useful for your research and the images that aren't when you have such a large data set to look at?
1: Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So what the team did, and this was very collaborative team research, uh, was we work on a, uh, a dual validation stage. So the images which were uploaded, we first just look at uh, ones which had a precise geolocation and, and timestamp. So that was able to to know exactly when the images have been uploaded. But then we used um, a a mechanism called uh, Google's reverse image search Mm -hmm. to then look at the images and come up with its own set of tags, which might include, for example, uh, a tree, but tree leaves someone had photographed. Or for your listeners, so conscious of, of a radio representation of this, if we wanted to understand... Honeybee, we might um, have a whole heap of images uploaded, but we want to differentiate between what is a honeybee, what is a jar of honey which might have a (laughs) honeybee on it, or what might be a company which just uses a honeybee as a logo. And so by using reverse image search, we're able to, to do a computer science solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. And then we also collaborated with a biologist, and she went through and hand-validated a subset of the data to make sure it was valid.
0: Right. And and from that, you were able to get some, some really meaningful data in that case.
1: Yeah. And what was very... We, I mean, we had hypothesized this, but the difference between hypothesizing something and <laughs> seeing it actually works is, is often a, a pleasant surprise, but yeah. sometimes... An unpleasant surprise. <laughs> yep. we, we thought we might have the power, um, when I say power, the, the physical number of images within Japan to get a signature of how the um, climate change, when the seasons come, how the flowering event changes across the country. And what we actually saw when we constructed a, a, a nice video representation of this was indeed you can see the event of the season arriving and shifting from south to north up through the country as, as summer's approaching.
0: Oh, amazing! And
1: yeah, that was really exciting. And the very pleasing thing was we could then, because Japan keeps fantastic records, uh, is such a popular event in Japan, we could cross-validate that to actually field data of what the tourism bureau had collected and then historic records going back for centuries.
0: Oh, that's incredible. And just to be able to match those together as well.
1: Yes. Yeah, so that was a, a just a fantastic proof of concept for us that, wow, we can use this computer science technique to really understand the phenomenon. And now, and this is where it's fantastic to come and talk and share our finding, we're hoping that people will be able to use this in different ways around, for example, Australia, but around the world. To, uh, to see how climate change is affecting our pollination systems.
0: And you talk about um, shifts in the data over time. Um, there are probably going to be more likely people posting pictures of blo- flowering cherry blossom trees during cherry blossom flowering season. And I'm wondering how you controlled for the lack of presence of pictures of trees of that nature at other points in time or people uploading those things to Flickr unseasonally. And when you're looking for shifts in that data, realising that you're probably expecting to see some sort of change with the climate situation also changing, how do you ensure that you know, you've know you got that kind of control um, to look at images of trees outside of season? Were there many of those in the data set?
1: Uh, yeah, it's actually a beautiful question. It's multiple facets, so excuse for a long answer. It's all good. Uh, 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 so one of the pleasant things or very interesting things we observed was... We saw we saw a main peak of when the season arrived when the warm season arrived and there were heaps more images uploaded. But we saw a secondary peak very late in the year, so in November, and we thought, hmm, this is strange. But we went for a hand validation stage of, yeah, there really are cherry cherry blossom flowers. Mm-hmm. And then when we looked, there was actually some media reporting on this in Japan huh. in the, the late, in around 2017, 2018, that, oh this is a bit unusual. This is a bit not what we expected. It's out of season. So our research technique had had the power to pick up this phenomenon which people had observed on the ground.
0: Oh, that's incredible. So, uh,
1: but the second part of your question, as I understood it, is, yes, so out of season, um, you might have people taking photographs of, for example, uh, cherry blossom tree leaves because mm-hmm. you know celebrating how the uh, the leaves go go a beautiful orange color time we use another uh phenomenon which people are interested in mm-hmm. but how they tag the photographs might come up as a cherry blossom flower mm-hmm. uh, that was solved by the The uh, reverse image search validation process I mentioned earlier and also by hand um, validating a subset of the images to make sure they are corresponded.
0: Yeah that makes sense. Um, You mentioned also that you're really hoping that this kind of technique that you've developed here can be applied to other kinds of tracking of data for different flora and different regions of the world. What are you hoping to use it for next? And what are you hoping other people will use it for too?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. We're, we're still thinking about some of this. So some of the conceptual framework we had developed was pre-pandemic. And then we had this strange period where not a lot was happening. Weird. <laughs> <So> we, <laughs> it was just a <laughs> bit weird. I think mm. we all, we're all familiar with that. <laughs> and so we've now gone ahead and published our findings and we're starting to look at new horizons, how we can apply this in other situations. But again, we we were very happy to develop the techniques, so very happy to share them with other groups and other countries because the issues of climate change and pollination, we, we all kind of own and we need to understand better. So there are many, many things to be done and we're just starting to map that. We, we had this kind of delay because of the pandemic, and we're, we're now quite excited about what the future holds.
0: Oh, that's very exciting. Yeah. Um, have you had any, any response to your research from people in Japan?
1: Uh, look, there's a little bit of, uh, I just noted a few people tweeting and a little bit of interest. I haven't had any direct um, correspondence about it yet, but I'm hoping to visit Japan later this year and... Uh, and, and maybe talk to a few people at that time. We we have some good collaborations in Japan and actually some of those connections, again, I, I haven't physically been to Japan for since before, yeah. <laughs> before the event.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, yeah, we're hoping that will happen.
3: Oh, that's marvellous. And is pink your favourite colour now? <laughs>
1: uh, well, actually, purple's my favourite colour but pink's one of my favourite colours. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Probably a little bit lucky, yeah. particularly if people are hand-selecting... Um, Yeah, parameters and, uh, you know, I I just think that the cherry blossom season, I was fortunate enough to travel to Japan during that season and it's a completely magical time. So it's actually incredibly cool that such a flagship event is now participating in, um, you know, a potential pollination, you know, study model. It's really did, cool. Can I
1: ask? Did you did you take photographs and upload them to social network sites?
3: Um, I'm old enough that um, all the photographs are printed out on Kodak paper in a in a box in my study. Oh, very cool. But um, I should I should scan them and upload them.
1: That, that's very cool. You, you have no problem there with me because um, I I trained as a as a uh, an analog film photographer and worked as a, a ah. film photographer for many many years. I've embraced the digital world, but I love both.
3: Oh, fantastic. Oh, fun. <laughs> love it.
0: Um, I was interested to know also with another aspect of this study, um, when, when looking at the paper, it, it does mention that you make use of machine learning models in order to do this, and you mentioned some of the reverse image search stuff that you've done. Um, with the AI label attached to it, how do you find this being received in the midst of the current... Hype around everything to do with AI and that term has that caused any particular reactions to your work that you weren 't expecting
1: no i don't we, we haven't experienced anything uh, if I use the word adverse or anything negative about that yet mm-hmm. <laughs> um, look the the field of AI and you're quite right there 's a lot of hype or a lot of new information all the time out there we're keeping our eye on it, but we've had no adverse adverse findings
0: at all. Yeah. Oh, no, that's um, fine. I mean, adverse or, or positive as well. I know that anything sort of attached to it at the moment seems to just get a lot of attention regardless of what it is, but also that this has a, a very different kind of application and a very immediate kind of concrete application to to solving some real problems. So this seems to be something um, that, that hopefully will ultimately be of benefit. And as you mentioned, with other people being able to use the models, that should help uh, help all of us learn something new about the environment that we're in.
1: Yeah, look, to, to sort of deal with that at a, at a broader level, uh, we've been quite lucky in the research, well, I feel incredibly privileged in the research I do, that almost anywhere we go, anyone we talk to, people go, that's really interesting. I want to know more or be part of the solution. So uh, people like to know about bees, how we're we going to... Deal with pollination going into the future. How 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 we all want to eat good food. Mm-hmm. How that's going to work. So nearly everyone's gone. Wow, that's great. Go forward. Do more.
0: <laughs> and if people want to find out more about how to get this model, how to make use of the work that you've done, um, where should they be looking?
1: Yeah. So the, the the leader of the lab at Monash University is uh, Professor Alan Doran. So he would be a great first contact. Uh, so you can uh, Google his email and contact him. Um, I'm also available at Monash University. Uh, do you have the ability to put up a, an article? We can tweet. The, yeah. We
3: can absolutely tweet. So we'll, um, we'll do that after the show.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, so we, we, we had an article in the conversation which also enables people to contact us. Or if there's very interested readers, they, there's links through to the original data and paper so they can read it.
3: Fantastic. Oh, exciting. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, Who who knew cherry blossoms just had so much bubbling away under the surface there? So, um, we've just been speaking with Associate Professor Adrian Dwyer.
2: This is a podcast from
0: Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. To find out more about Triple R or to explore many more shows, podcasts, articles, videos, and interviews, head to the Triple R website at rrr.org.au. And in the studio with us now we have Michelle Chen, who is a Taiwanese-born PhD student at RMIT University, who is here to talk about the Mini Melbourne Project, a co-created video game um, where users are going to come in and make free uh, attend this workshop to make skins to collaborate on a, a game that tells a story about our city. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you for having me. It's a, real, it's a real delight to have you in the studio. Um, Mini Melbourne is a is program that's running, um, I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? And Friday as well.
2: Uh, no, it's nope. June
0: 29th and thirty. June 29th and 30th. Yeah. That's a Thursday and a Friday, isn't it? It at, is, yes, at the Immigration yeah. Museum. That's okay. I've forgotten how time works. Don't mind me. Mm-hmm. So June 29th <laughs> a and 30th. week
3: already. It's only yeah. Wednesday. Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I did note, though, there are free workshops that are getting mm-hmm. people to create skins for video games um, that help to, you know, celebrate some of the cultural diversity of the city. Mm -hmm. Um, Ogba, one of them, I think, is booked out now from what I saw on the website, which is very exciting. Um, It does mean that people do have a bit of a chance if they're inspired to to sign up. Tell us a bit about the
2: workshop and, and what motivated you to create it. So I'm a game developer, game developer, and I'm also like an international student. So I'm pretty new. I well, I've been in Melbourne for like four years, but I still consider myself like pretty new to Melbourne. And one thing that I really liked about Melbourne is how diverse it is and all the different cultures. So this mini Melbourne, it'll be like a game that's a recreation of Melbourne. So there's the Immigration Museum, there's like Fed Square, Sea Life, and all that. Aww. And then we're trying to populate this little mini Melbourne with all the different participants. So. So everybody who comes in, they get to create their little characters, like they can customize hair color, eye color, skin color, like their names. And then they could, so they're dressed in this overalls and they can kind of paint on it and like really make it their own. So it's like really customize how they want to look like and when they get into the mini melbourne they get to meet other characters who are created by other participants and they kind of like ask each other questions and then share their stories and it's about like trying to find what we have in common with each other cuz like even though everybody comes from so many like diverse backgrounds you find that there's a lot of things that you actually have in common and that's kind of what we want to like celebrate
0: so will people be able to play the game during the workshop? Or is the workshop about creating the skin and the game is something that people will be able to interact with in perpetuity or for, you know, for time to come?
2: It's kind of both. So like the game is like a, um, like a character editor at first. So once you've created this character and then you get to walk around the Melbourne and then there's like a bunch of other like there'll be like... 15 characters for you to talk to. And if you run like we'll just like as many characters as we have participants. And so you're kinda like like sharing your stories, walking around. And after this workshop, we're actually gonna just keep the game at the museum and other people can just keep coming in and they can, you know, see all these different people and all these stories. That's like trying to capture Melbourne in like a game. <sighs>
0: I love this idea of of minifying it, putting it in that game. How did you go about choosing what to include of Melbourne in that I mean I assume that Mm -hmm. recreating the entire city digitally would probably take quite a bit of time so you probably have to make some
2: editorial choices Mm -hmm. um how did you go about making those selections well since it's based at the immigration museum so I just started from there and it's like oh one street like Flinders Street so so I started like well Batman Park so there's a park and then like Sea Life and then um Immigration Museum at the centre of it and then like a whole a long Flinders Street station in Fed Square so basically Flinders Street
3: Amazing yeah. Awesome, it's, it's such a cool peak actually
2: There's yeah.
3: just so much afoot in that part of town so it's mm-hmm. yeah, completely awesome
0: I love the the way also that you are opening the workshops up to, to pretty much anybody who can mm-hmm. come along. You don't
2: have to be a game developer for this. Is that right? Yeah, you don't need to, like, have any game development background or anything because you know how you usually go to museums and they'll have, like, a little, like, paper and crayons for you to, like, draw and things? Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like that, like, anybody. But it's all digital, so they could, like, they'll, like, customize their clothes. But you don't have to be, like, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's just, like, you know any way you want to express yourself and there's no like coding involved and no like yeah like no art skills like yeah no barrier of entry anybody can come (laughs) so for this for this game
0: um this is not your first um your first foray into sort of collaborative game making right like you've you're Mm -hmm. you're doing your phd at the moment and your research has focused a bit on using games as a a way of exploring storytelling in other media so can you tell us a bit about that
2: yeah, of course. So um, so I'm doing a PhD at RMIT. And my um, research is all about co-creating games with people about their lived experiences of depression and anxiety. So in a way, like, so I invited a lot of participants. So first, I interviewed them, and they shared, they were like, so generous to share their experiences. And... And then we have these um, workshops as well. Uh, sadly, it was during COVID, so it was all online. So it was, like, basically a Teams meeting. Oh, and then, <laughs> Yeah, a lot of Teams meetings. And we kind of, like, have a session where me and my participants, we all just, you know, just put it out there, like, oh, what kind of, like, Um, we have all these like experiences and how do we translate that into a game and also exploring what are the different ways like different game design techniques that we can use to um, portray these experiences. And it's really nice because like... um, one of the sad things about games uh, the game industry is it's not super I mean it's getting there it's getting more diverse, but there's still a lot of underrepresented voices so through like my um, research I'm trying to like bring more people who wouldn't normally um, make games and you know bring them in and also like just use teach people how to use games as a medium like another medium to express themselves. What is it about games that for you makes them such an interesting medium for that kind of self-expression? Because, like, games are, like, it's multidisciplinary. So Mm. there's coding, there's art, there's music, there's writing. So there's so many ways for you to get involved. Like, so some of my participants, they're um, so, like when there's a narrative in this uh, game, like, all the script, all the dialogues and everything, like, my participants wrote all of them. And some of my participants, um, they like drawing, so they made all the art. Or another participant, she likes uh, making music. So um, for one of the games, we actually collaborated with another composer, and together with my participants, they composed a song that's, like, based on her experience, like, with depression. And we put that in the game, and it was, like, it was just so special. Yeah. And are these games published at the moment, or are they still sort of in flux, depending on, you know, the state of development that they're at? Um, so they're all like really mini games, and they've, they're all published online, um, and it's free to play. Uh, just search Io. just search mentaljam and you'll be able to find it. How did the collaboration with the Immigration Museum for the mini Melbourne project mm-hmm. come about,
0: given that your, your research so far has focused fairly strongly on issues of mental health? This is a, a distinct issue, but it, mm-hmm. it does bring a lot of your expertise in co-creating
2: games to the forefront. So with the Immigration Museum, so I guess like with the, um, my PhD project, it was also based a lot about like my personal experiences, but like depression, anxiety. With the Immigration Museum project, I was trying to like explore different parts of myself. So I'm a third culture kid. Um, I grew up in the Philippines, but I'm Taiwanese and then coming to Melbourne. So I kind of want to like explore that aspect because like um, when I was living in the Philippines, I didn't really look like the people there. And I always felt a little bit out of place uh, when I was living in Taiwan. Um, my Ch- I speak Chinese, but not that great. Um, but weirdly enough, when I moved to Melbourne, I actually feel like more at home. Because like, cool. when you're around people that are all so different, and there's also a lot of people who look like me and talk like me. So somehow I found that some, in that diverse culture, I felt like, oh, I'm not alone. Oh. It's great that you've been able
0: to partner with the Immigration Mm. Museum to make this happen. Hopefully this game will allow people to, to find some of that expression for themselves. Are there any other avenues that you're interested in seeing or games that you think should be out there to help, you know, make these kinds of
2: experiences, things that people see more of? I feel like there's definitely needs to be, like, there is a lot of diverse games now, but there definitely needs to have, well funding for one to explore more like more like diverse storytelling but in order for like diverse people to be making games there needs to be funding and there needs to Mm -hmm. be like it has to be a bit more inclusive or a bit like I guess lower the barrier of entry Mm because like people think that oh to make a game you need to um, have all these skills but that's not true because like game making a game it's not just programming you need writing you need art so it's like you know there is actually a lot of ways to get into game development but a lot of people still think that it's like they need to be coding or something so I guess like just trying to think about ways to make like game development a bit more accessible for people
0: well I really appreciate the way that you're doing this with the mini Melbourne project mm. because it does feel like it is going to make it possible for a whole lot of new people to get exposure to making games and feel mm-hmm. like they can do it can you tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about the project and sign up for one of the last remaining spots at your yes. workshop
2: oh yes definitely so just go to the um, museum victoria immigration museum website to sign up i think we have like three, six workshops happening over yeah? the two days oh so, yeah so there's still chances to get in and it's free <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> love it. Absolutely love it. we'll, we'll tweet that link out on awesome. our account after the show. Yeah. So, ah, oh, thank you so much. Um, excellent. So we've just been talking to game developer Michelle Chen, who's all about Mini Melbourne and some very, very cool free workshops coming up on Making Skins. So we'll tweet the details of that after the show. Triple and- R. Now, I've put in our little show notes here, the GeoGuessr guy is vengeful good. So... (laughs) One of my favourite stories
0: is the internet from the last week.
3: Oh, it's so good. So the Guesser guy who goes by Rainbolt on um, Twitter as well as uh, TikTok, he's just this complete wizard. Give the man a photo and he will find the exact location on Google Maps for you. It's absolutely fantastic. Anyway, someone was skiting about finding the most perfect bagel in New York City and they weren't going to tell anywhere, anyone who the shop was, anything about it, so that it was all to himself. Well, Rainbolt, the Geo. I guess a guy turned into a bit of vengeful good. I've got to read this tweet out. Yeah, go. I'm going to be vulnerable. I've spent 38 hours this week and 42 hours last week looking for a bagel on Google Maps. The bagel is in New York City. I have all possible bagels narrowed down. I will find this bagel and I will not give up. So everyone's like, what are you doing? Anyway, he's basically said, the dude is gatekeeping food. I want to make sure there's a 30-minute line if he ever wants to eat this bagel again. Anyway, he, he naturally, he found it. He's tweeted it. He's put it on TikTok and everything. Um, and he talked the bagel shop into naming it after him, the Rainbolt. So um, if the gatekeeper, the bagel, the original bagel gatekeeper ever wants to order it again, he has to. Ask for it by name.
0: That is a wild <laughs> ride. I mean I know. <laughs> spending thirty eight hours doing that, that's that's some real vengeful good energy. That's incredible. I love it. I
3: absolutely love it. Well, we are getting right to the tail end of the show. We were going to talk about a couple of events, but we're out of time, so we shan't. <laughs> um, thank you so much to our guests this evening, Associate Professor Adrian Dyer and game developer Michelle Chen, who have both got some really cool projects afoot. Thank you, Lily, for doing the l- so much of the legwork tonight.
0: Thank you, Ro, for doing all of the magic behind the panel.
3: Oh, button, button. Uh, we also wanted to shout out our Talks producer, producers, Adam Christo and Mel Fulton, they keep the world turning. Um, We've got a new podcaster who will be announced soon and we've been bite into it. We'll be back next Wednesday evening. In the meantime, stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew. See you next time.